Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Well, good day to you, and may I say Merry Christmas, even though we're a couple of weeks away from the Christmas season. Uh, This is Brad Zockel with Zulon International Bible Institute, an institute in which we are working all across the world with students who want to know the Scripture, want to learn about the God of heaven, the Savior Jesus Christ, the truth of the Bible. And right now, during this podcast, I'd like to take a step away from our verse-by-verse walk through the book of Revelation and talk with you about the Christmas season. There's some interesting things that I'd like to share with you as we continue on and then share something about our ministry as we're heading up at the end of the year. But I'm really glad that you came along with us. And uh, let's get right into the scripture here. When we're looking at the Bible story, you're going to look into the story of what we call the nativity. That's what people usually know it as, the nativity scene. And when we look at this uh, scenario of Jesus being born in this little cow town called Bethlehem, Miraculously, as has been prophesied by Isaiah 7:14, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And indeed, Jesus, being the God-man, is with us. When we take a look at all of this, we see a character in history which, boy, really comes across strong. And we want to know a little bit more about, about him as we step outside the scripture and then talk about this one man named Herod. But as we get going, let's take a look at a couple of things as we are talking about the Christmas story. It's something you can share with your youth group, your church, your congregation, your Bible study group, wherever you are. And there are some things that I'd like to share with you in the upcoming podcast about the Christmas story that through the years of studying, these things have come up and been very, very powerful to help me flesh out the story that the Bible gives us in the two books. See, the nativity story is in just two books of the Bible, Matthew and Luke. You have four books that are the biography of Jesus Christ as he is here on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The birth story is in Matthew and in Luke. And when we look here, among the other things that we'll study in the the successive podcasts is this very, very curious person by the name of Herod. He comes in and he comes out, and he's the bad guy of the story. We see him all through the scriptures. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, it gives us the, the what would you say, like the place in the timeline, the stake driven down in the timeline so that we know where we're talking about when we talk about Jesus in the life of this one who history tells us is known as Herod the Great. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi came from the east, arriving in Jerusalem. That's Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. And then Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3 talks about Herod again. When the king heard they were coming to worship this child born to be the king of the Jews, Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. Now, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 7, Herod comes up again. He secretly calls the Magi and determines from his court the time that this star appears. Then Matthew chapter 2 and verse 12, the Magi know something's going on, but they're not sure. 
But in a dream, they are told, when they go to Bethlehem, do not go back to Jerusalem. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. Now, during this, we take a look in verse 13. Herod comes up again. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And then when we know in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who in Bethlehem, the vicinity of Bethlehem, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had carefully determined from the Magi. We know that Joseph was in safety because we drop back to verse 15. And Joseph remained in Egypt until the time of the death of Herod, in order that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Herod dies, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19, when Herod dies, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt, saying, It's okay to head back. And so we see Herod coming through here in uh, this narrative in Matthew. We'll also see him in Mark, uh, in uh, Luke as well. So Herod is this intriguing and enraging and evil king. He plays a part in the story, a very deep part in the story. Who in the world is this Herod? So let's talk about this. We have one that is uh, leading in the, the area of Palestine, in the Judean district, and his name was Antipater. He's the father of this one called Herod in history, and this is going to be about 40 BC that Antipater starts making some artful political and maybe bribery-laden moves to move his son into the position of power. So Antipater, when he is leaving the office, he maneuvers enough through the Roman Senate to have them agree, well, we'll take Herod on to be the next in charge. So, listen to this very carefully, very intriguing here. Herod the Great then is elected to be the, quote, King of the Jews. That is his title in 40 B.C. Now, he doesn't really make many friends among the Jews because he is an Edomite. He is not a true Jew, and so they can't stand him. Well, he goes over to one of the highly regarded leaders among the Jewish community, Antigonus, and Herod marries his daughter. Well, there's a couple things here. No, I'm sorry, it's, it's uh, his niece of Antigonus. Miriam is the niece of Antigonus. And in Mary, he wants to kind of pull a political tie-in to him, gain the favor of the Jews. There's just one small problem as we read in history. Herod is already married. He has a wife, Doris, and he has a three-year-old son whom he named after his father, Antipater. Well, so the Jews are saying, well, you can't do this. You've already got a wife. And he basically says, well, where? What are you talking about? Well, your wife, Doris, you have a son to wear. See, he banished them. Herod actually banished his own child and his wife in order that he might be able to start his political maneuvering. And that's exactly what he did. 
he banished them. So he started to identify himself as a Jew to gain favor, but he has a very, very wicked lifestyle. Uh, he is he's sort of an enigma in the, the community coming up to the nativity story because there's one thing. The Jewish people can't stand him in person. They don't like his maneuvering. They don't like his politics. They don't like his, well, his deviousness, just as we saw with Miriam and things like that. But there's one thing, though, they can't deny he's a magnificent builder. He builds the second temple. He's in charge of it. And is it ever magnificent? As a matter of fact, he's ha- he has building projects all over Palestine, and they are magnificent. And so I would say this. It's kind of like the people would go, well, I can't stand him, but boy, he can deliver the goods when it comes to building. His architecture and his works are fantastic, and he seems to know how to take care of us. Now, I'm going to give you an idea of how big the second temple was, which was known as Herod's Temple. When you take a look on the search engine and you look at what is known as the Western Wall in Jerusalem or the Wailing Wall, I want to give you a bit of trivia. You know, that's not the wall. That's the foundation of the building. Now, take a look at it. You can go ahead and pause this and go take a look at how tall that structure is in which the Jewish people will go down to pray down there, known as the Wailing Wall. For the restoration of the temple, they will go and pray, insert little prayers in between the cracks. Now, I want you to understand something. That is just the foundational block. So you can imagine, stretch your imagination and look, and the uh, work being done, Herod's temple was the tallest building in the world at the time. This is why during the temptation of Christ, Satan said, go to the top of the pinnacle, throw yourself off, the angels will catch you, and everybody there On the tallest building of the world, everybody down in the courtyard will witness this, your instant Messiah. Everybody will see. You see, it's because it was such a famous uh, uh, structure. Now, during this time, he wants to gain favor, so he goes to different segments of uh, the population, and one of them was the athletes, the sports world. The Olympic Games of that time were really having problems being financially viable. As a matter of fact, they were going bankrupt. Financially strapped is just an understatement for the Olympic Games of that time. Herod underwrote it all, paid off the debts, and then said, you will never have a problem in having any other of the Olympic Games. They're going to be taken care of. And so the athletes are kind of like, well, you know, he, he can take care of us. He, you know, I don't know how much I want to uh, fight against him and all. Well, Herod, as you know, becomes enraged, as we see, whenever he finds out he's been duped by the Magi. So he orders the slaughter of all the male children under the age of two. Now, many skeptics will say, wait a minute, if he had a worldwide slaughter, how come it isn't written in history? But you you have to follow it accurately. It says in the scripture in Matthew chapter 2, Bethlehem and its vicinity. The vicinity is a small area. Think of it about the size of the county in which you live. All right, Bethlehem's a small village. Many, many historians and archaeologists will say that at the time of Christ, Bethlehem's population was about 90 people, really pushing it if you said 100. So it's very small. So there's a belief that 
the number of male children under the age of two that were killed might not exceed 20. Now, this is horrible. Even if it was 10, even if it was five, it's, it's reprehensible. But we don't want to be talking about a worldwide slaughter because that's not what the scripture says. But nevertheless, Herod had no hesitation in ordering genocide upon the little ones as well. Flavius Josephus talks about this King Herod. Now, there are a number of Herods in the Bible, his sons and things, but we're talking about Herod the Great, the supposed king of the Jews. Herod uh, is written about in his final illness. Josephus writes about this, Flavius Josephus. And remember, I'll remind you, this is outside of Scripture now. From Josephus' descriptions, they believe that Herod was suffering from two things. One was scabies. And they're talking about something which would be a, well, I, I'm, I'm not going deep into science. I'm going to give you just a layman's uh, presentation of what it might be like. I want you to picture a flea that would get under your skin. A flea bite on the top is bad enough for somebody. But what if it was under your skin and burrowing? This uh, putrefaction that starts happening in his skin is it's believed to be by what is called scabies. And you can look up the medical term and see how that would eat away at you. But there's also something that uh, I don't even show pictures in my academy and college classes of it because it's so grotesque. And that was this. Many medical experts who study the background of Herod uh, outside of the Bible within history will uh, propose that this kidney disease was exacerbated by what's called Fournier's gangrene. Fournier's would be spelled F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R. And let me just tell you, if you look up Fournier's gangrene, do not have any of the little ones around where you're looking at this, and don't plan on eating dinner soon or having dinner right after or anything like that. It is very, very grotesque. It is flesh flaking away. And the part of the body, I'll leave it to your study, to you to find out what part of the bodies it is. So what happened was this constant scaby, irritating itch, skin flailing away, Fournier's gangrene, uh, kidney disease, then many of the researchers would say this, this causes lack of sleep, this causes perpetual unrest, this brings on paranoia, this brings on depression, This brings on loss of of, uh, cognitive ability, uh, rational thought in there. And that was really the way that Herod would die. Well, then people say, well, that's a morality tale if you ever saw one. Well, yeah. I mean, to think of what Herod had done to those around him. I'll just give you an idea. I'll go down through a list in things that I have down in my notes on what Herod had done. In 36 B.C., So Herod's been in power for about four years. He takes his brother-in-law, Aristobulus III. He's 17 years old. He makes him the high priest. And they had found out that Aristobulus was very charismatic, very open, and uh, possibly the Jews would like him and have him replace Herod. So what he does is he tries to put him in a position of giving him some power, but not too much. But within a year, he is so paranoid, 
he puts the hit on Aristobulus III. And in a garden party, on Herod's orders, guards take him around a corner and drown him in one of the fountains. 29, in, uh, we, we read it years later, we find out that Herod, 29 BC, is uh, very suspicious of Miriam, his wife. And he is very, very jealous of, of, of her. And Miriam kind of gets an idea that Herod just may have her put away, murders her. So she will not share the bedroom with him anymore. His paranoia brings her to the point where he's going to charge her on adultery. The reason you're not with me is because you're seeing other ones. Now, everybody starts realizing this man isn't right, and he's paranoid. So some of them try to gain his favor. So his sister, Salome, was a witness against Miriam, even though this is an unfounded charge. Miriam's own mother, Alexandra, wants to save her own neck, so makes an appearance and actually puts a blame, incriminates her own daughter. So the charges are brought. Miriam is executed. But what Alexandra does is trying to say, well, now, and she appeals to the public that uh, I'm part of this line. Herod is imbalanced mentally. He is unfit to serve. I'm queen. Well, Herod doesn't even blink twice. He has her executed. There's not even a trial on that. We see him continuing to, uh, in his paranoia and in his uh, murderous bend, he executes another one's. Costabar, this is the husband of Salome. Uh, he has his brother-in-law executed uh, on the charges of conspiracy. In 8 BC, he accused his own sons by Miriam of high treason. And he has, in modern-day Beirut, he has a court hearing uh, on this. It's a Roman court. He brings the charges, and he has them put away, them put to death. So you're seeing a man that is brutal, that is paranoid. And so you can see why when it says in Matthew chapter 2, whenever he finds out that these, uh, all of these magi come in and they're saying, we're looking for a child that is going to be the object of worship. Now Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3 makes a lot more sense. It says, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The entire city goes into a paranoid stage. What is he going to do? Is he going to kill us? Is he going to have a mass slaughter? What's going to happen here? So the intrigue goes on. Well, you've had a background study in this man called Herod. And as you look at Matthew chapter 2, you look in Luke about this one Herod, you're going to find this carries a lot more intrigue when you learn the background. More that I can say, uh, there, there's a lot more that I could bring to you, but I'm running out of time. I wanted to tell you very quickly that as you are listening to this, we are in the December season. We're at the end of the year with uh, Zulon. Uh, we are finishing out our year in our ministry, and as we are, there are some different bills that we are paying, and we're taking care of everything. I'm glad to tell you that we are meeting our needs, but there's also some other things. Uh, that would like to do. We're reorganizing. We have a wonderful project, and we're just needing your giving. If you can help us out, we're looking at re, uh, fi- uh, just fixing up, reworking the website to make it more interactive. 
by the people that would come on. We are stepping up everything in our YouTube ministry, in our TikTok ministry. There are things that we need as far as equipment. As you know, many of you have seen on TikTok, whenever I talk with you, I'm speaking on the, in the barn, which we're renovating, and there are some needs there. And I'm going to ask you, friends, if it is possible that you can help us, I want to remind you that we are a 501c3 uh, corporation. You do receive a tax benefit from giving to our ministry, and we're just asking that we might be able to be responsible in our outreach. Um, I teach Zoom classes to students around the country and around the world. Uh, I am on TikTok as well on daily classes, both in the morning and in the afternoon. And then also in the evening times, we have YouTube live classes as well. And this is also with me traveling around the, uh, the, the region here in my own car. We don't have a company car and things like that. Well, there are just a lot of things. If you are able to help, listen, your gift may give me enough gas to make it across the state or maybe over the state line to be able to go and reach a small church. I never ask on any of these churches for any giving. If they want to, that's fantastic. If not, that's okay as well, because a lot of these smaller churches want to have speakers in. They just can't afford them, and maybe you can help me reach them uh, in a number of the little uh, churches that we reach throughout the community and around the region. But thank you so much for anything. If you can, go to Zulon.org, and you can uh, go on to there, and if you go to Zulon.org, you will go into our site there, and you're able to see our um, the donate page. That if you would uh, click on the donate tab, and then it will show you how to donate through PayPal. If you would want to send a check, and there are some people that just don't feel comfortable with PayPal or electronics, if you want to, well, then if you might send that to uh, under Zulon the uh, ministry to two hundred Laurel. Woods Way, L-A-U-R-E-L, Laurel Woods Way in Currituck, North Carolina. That's C-U-R-R-I-T-U-C-K, Currituck, North Carolina, 27928. 200 Laurel Woods Way, Currituck, North Carolina, 27928. Thank you so much. God bless you. We'll have another Christmas study here very soon. Take care, and we hope to see you soon, Lord willing. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.